Hey, Larry here, Acts 29 today, coming to you from sunny world headquarters, Chiang Mai, Thailand. This week, we're going to continue on with uh, what was really happening in the truck as I was uh, praying in tongues for edification, and we will... Uh, <coughs> continue on and this uh this week i'm going to be talking about uh the edification process and what that uh really means because that is the process uh by which as we're praying in the holy spirit it edifies us and so we need to we need to really find out okay what does what does the edification really mean the edification uh, the word edification is from a word the word edifice which means a massive, magnificent building. So when we pray in tongues, we're actually, we're actually erecting a superstructure, a divine operation on the inside of our spirit man, which is the anointing of God to qualify us for our divine calling. Uh, some of the stuff I'll be, I'll be reading directly out of the book because I don't want to miss you know, the power of what's the way Dave has has said these things. And then, you know, I may comment on some of the stuff from my own experience. Uh, he said that he used to believe that, you know, the Holy Spirit was going to use him... Uh, just the way he was, you know, and whatever state he was in, that God was just going to use him that way. But he said, little did I know that he wasn't at all intending to leave me in my carnal state. That isn't what edification is all about. Some people wonder what effect we are having on the devil and his plans when we pray in tongues for edification. One thing we are not doing is ordering the devil around. He doesn't even understand what we're saying. So, you know, <clears throat> you hear some people talk about, well, they're praying in a warring tongue, you know, so they're screaming in tongues. And, uh, you know, <laughs> we're talking to God, not the devil. So I... I don't, I've never heard of a warring tongue uh, because we're not talking to the devil. We're not ordering him around. We're speaking to God, and he's not hard of hearing. So, uh, you know, 
that kind of hopefully clears up some of this stuff about a warring tongue because we're not, you know, we're definitely not talking uh, to the devil and he doesn't understand what we're saying anyway. The word says that when a man prays an unknown tongue, he isn't talking to men. He's speaking with God. 1 Corinthians 14, 2. That's why I can't accept the idea that the devil can understand us when we pray in tongues. When we begin to pray in tongues for personal edification, we enter into the holy closet and are born again, recreated, seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus' spirit is locked in a divine communication with God himself. It is a personal communication, a holy communication, and the devil cannot enter there. That's why the devil hates praying in tongues so much, because he has absolutely no idea of what we're saying to God, and it makes him nervous. And I told you before, when I was in Africa that time, and there was eight or nine of us sitting around a table, fellowshipping, and then we went into a season of praying in the Spirit. And then that lady said to me, you know, do you, do you speak French? And I said, no, I don't know anything in French. And then she said, well, you said in, in tongues, in perfect French three times, communication, connection with God, communication, connection with God, communication, connection with God. And then I knew that praying in the Spirit for edification was that communication with God and that connection with God. And so that was a very important thing for me to learn there. So, <clears throat> the reason the devil doesn't understand is, you know, if you go back to the Old Covenant, uh, in, in the temple there, you had the outer court, the inner court, and the Holy of Holies, and only the high priest went into the Holy of Holies once a year. So, if the devil ever tried to break through the veil and penetrate the Holy of Holies, he would never have made it because it was out of his jurisdiction. He has no access there. The temple, then, is a shadow or a type of the believer. As a believer, my body is the temple of God now because the Holy Spirit has come and made his abode on the inside of me. My flesh is the outer court, my soul is the inner court, and my born-again recreated spirit is a type of the Holy of Holies, and nobody, but nobody except my high priest, is allowed in there. So when I pray in tongues, Satan has no idea what God is saying to me. Why? Because the Holy Spirit creates the supernatural language within my Holy of Holies, and it is outside of all satanic jurisdiction. Okay, now I'm just going to share a little bit about building yourself up on your most holy faith. So what happens when I pray in tongues for personal edification? which I can do at will any time I desire. Why is this? The most foolish of all gifts to the natural mind, so important and so powerful. Well, in Jude 20 and 21, 
It says, but you, beloved, <clears throat> building up yourselves, building up yourselves. Now, isn't that interesting? We are in charge of our own edification. You and me are in charge of our own edification. It says, but you, beloved, building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Keep yourself in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Thousands of people around the world are filled and overflowing with God's word, and yet still, for the most part, the church has not experienced the miraculous results found in the book of Acts. So there must be a missing ingredient that most believers are unaware of. The truth is, any minister, no matter how anointed and full of the word he may be, can only tell you what he has learned through experience and as the Holy Ghost has taught him in his own times of meditation on the word. But that teaching will profit, will not profit you if you don't find some way to mix faith with it. You must personally get that word into your spirit and then let the Holy Spirit teach you. That's why Jude says we are to build ourselves up on our most holy faith by praying always in the Holy Spirit. It is only as we willingly and freely present our bodies as a living sacrifice and take the time to endure in prayer that the Holy Ghost can begin to reveal to us the mysteries of Christ. Only then... Can he release the faith in our hearts that is needed for God's power to operate in our lives? So, as you can tell, there's a whole lot more to this subject than we ever thought possible. Now let's talk about contending for the faith. This is in uh, verse 3 of, of Jude. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you the, of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. So if he's telling us that we need to contend for that faith, then he's certainly going to tell us how to contend for the faith. You see, it wasn't enough to know I should contend for the faith. The cry of my heart was, for God's sake, someone teach me how. Don't wave a delicious steak in front of my face and then not give it to me. So now we're talking about the faith that was once delivered to the early saints. And then in in, in verse 4, Jude tells us what happened to that mountain-moving faith which the early church operated in. For there were certain men, crept in unaware, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and Lord Jesus Christ. Certain men had crept into the church unaware, and whoever these men were, to a large extent, they stole the faith of the early church. 
Jude compared these ungodly men to raging waves of the sea, foaming at their, out their own shame. What was he talking about? Well, a wave rises out of the ocean and for a moment puts on a display of foaming glory, but then just as quickly as it appeared, it disappears back into the sea. He also compared them, these men, to wandering stars. And you know how that happens. There's a shooting star and it's brighter than anything in the sky and everybody looks and goes, wow. And then a few moments later, it quickly disappears back into the darkness from where it came. Similarly, these wandering stars, after appearing as bright lights of truth for a season, disappear. And, you know, just in my own experience, this is me talking now, I have seen over the last 45 years of being a believer, I have seen many shooting stars, I call them mini-stars instead of ministers, and, you know, they come out of nowhere and, and they, they shine brightly with some new truth or great truth for a short season and everybody makes a big deal of them. They write a book and this and that. And then the next thing you know, I, they disappear and, I, and now I can't even remember their name. Except sometimes I would see their, their books in garage sales for, you know, 15 cents. But they just disappeared, you know, to be seen no more. These men are also called clouds without water. Throughout the Bible, water is used as a type of the Holy Ghost. We saw earlier that Jesus likened the Holy Spirit to rivers of living waters flowing from our innermost being, John 7, 38. So these clouds without water were men who stole the power of God from the early church. They crept in unawares using doctrines of men to steal the truth of believers until there was no faith left and the church plunged into the dark ages having lost her faith to a large extent for hundreds of years no wonder jude compared these men to clouds without water so the first criteria to walking in the power of god is that i must be a cloud with water in other words i must be filled with the holy spirit but Evidently, just having the Holy Spirit isn't enough. I used to think that the baptism of the Holy Ghost was all I needed to automatically see God's power released in my life. But I was wrong because I know people who have been baptized in the Holy Ghost for 40 years. But if you measured the power of the Holy Spirit by the fruit of their lives, you would come to the conclusion that the Holy Spirit had no power at all. I finally came to the conclusion that even though I was a cloud with water, even though I had been filled with the Holy Spirit, there still must be something I had to do to walk in God's power. Just having the Holy Spirit wasn't enough. There had to be a way to release Him on the inside of me. There had to be a way to get all that Holy Ghost power out of my spirit and onto the problems that needed to be overcome. I knew there had to be a way to release the power on the inside of me, and later I found out there is, and it is just as deliberate and power-releasing as you want it to be in your life. 
Okay, now we're going to talk a little bit about rising above a carnal sense-ruled walk. And then Jude had more to say about these clouds without water who had crept into the church. These be those who separate themselves, sensual, having not the spirit. These ungodly men were sensual, sensual or sense-ruled. That means they were dominated more by the carnal appetites of the flesh than they were by the word of God. He goes on to say that they had not the Spirit. These men did not have the Holy Ghost in operation in their lives. Therefore, they were separated from truth by the devil and by carnality and the lusts of the flesh. So I'm not a cloud without water. I've been baptized in the Holy Ghost. I'm a tongue-talking, devil-stomping, mountain-moving, faith-filled believer. I don't have to be like those who separate themselves. Why don't I? The next verse follows the same line of thought as verse 19 and tells me why. But you, beloved, you who do have the Holy Ghost, build yourselves up on your most holy faith. Build yourselves up where? Above a walk that is dominated by the senses by praying in the Holy Ghost. So, the Holy Spirit is building a building on the inside of us. He's building us up. Up where? Up above and beyond a sense-knowledge-ruled walk of the flesh. The edification process of Jude 20 delivers us from the strife-filled carnal condition described in Jude 19 and enables us to live continually in Jude 21, keeping yourselves in the love of God and looking for the mercy of Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. In other words, praying in tongues is the bridge between the state of strife and sensuality and the love of God. Wow. I bet you've never heard that one before. Praying in tongues is the bridge between the state of strife and sensuality and the love of God. It's the bridge that takes us from one to the other. Wow. Oh, how much we have sought for God sought God for that elusive increase of the faith God deposited on the inside of us. And here was this verse all along, giving us in black and white an ironclad guarantee that we can build ourselves up. Up where? Up above a walk where disease brings us to a standstill, a walk where poverty reigns in our lives, a walk up above a walk where our children are lost to the world forever. Up above this sense realm where we are moved more by what we see, hear, and feel than we are by the Word of God. We can release the power of the Holy Ghost in our lives and build ourselves up on our most holy faith. And how do we do that? 
by praying in the Spirit. By praying in the Spirit. Mark eleven twenty three says, I can say to the mountain, be removed and cast in the sea. And if I don't doubt in my heart, I'll have what I say with my mouth. The condition that must be met here is that I do not doubt in my heart. Verse 24 says in Mark 11, that I shall have whatever I desire when I pray, believing that I have received my answer. That's what my mother did. So once again, the only stipulation other than that my prayer must be according to the will of God, is that I must not doubt in my heart. Well, that makes this fact very significant. I found something I can do on purpose as much as I, as I want to, to do that carries God's guarantee to edify me and to build me up on my most holy faith within the part of me where he said I must not doubt. Therefore, when I speak to the mountain, the only question left between me and a walk of devil-stomping mountain-moving power is this. Do I have the guts to pray until that power comes? Because it's not a question of whether or not the power will come. It will come. The only question is, do I have the guts to stay in there until it does? So the question is not, will the power come? When Jesus inspired the words, these words in Jude 20, he took it out of all golden tongue speculative theology and put it into the realm of truth. And if Jesus said it, it is so, whether you believe it or not. This isn't a democracy. Jesus didn't ask for your vote. Your job is not to change God's truth, but to find it. Jesus inspired Jude to write verse 19 and 20. So Jesus is saying there is a key that when acted upon will build you up above a sense-dominated walk where everything you've been delivered from that defeats you, instead this key will cause you to walk in power on your most holy faith. What is the key? Using the supernatural language called tongues. Now, the next section here is, uh, is uh, why are we edified? Why are we edified? To know that you should pray in tongues isn't enough. If you really believed it edifies you and qualifies you to fulfill God's call on your life, the very thing you desire most in your heart, no one could ever keep you out of the prayer closet. Many Christians know what 1 Corinthians 14.4 4 says, but they still spend most of their time starting man-made programs, trying to figure out God's plan for their lives in their heads. So obviously they don't really believe that their answer lies in stopping long enough to edify themselves by praying in an unknown tongue. So, here's, here's the deal about why are we edified. Well, 
The person that speaks in an unknown tongue speaks not unto men but to God, for no man understands him, because he's speaking unto spirit, he's speaking mysteries. But he that prophesies speaks unto men to edification, exhortation, and comfort. But he that speaks in an unknown tongue edifies himself. He that prophesies edifies the church. So the edification of the church is in exhortation, comfort, and edification. So what happens when somebody prophesies in, in, in the body of believers is a divine comfort comes to that body of believers. It's different than an emotional high. The prophecy picks them up in the spirit and gives them a sense of everything is going to be okay, and that can last for days. So that edifies the church collectively. But when he prays in tongues, it edifies him individually. But the reasons why either the body of believers or the individual is edified are the same in both cases. And the reason is because the mind of Christ is revealed. That's why you're edified by praying in tongues. For edification is because the mind of Christ is revealed. Prophecy causes the mind to be manifested collectively to the church. On the other hand, praying in tongues causes the mind of Christ to be manifested in you as an individual. For the Holy Spirit will begin to take the mysteries you've been praying before the throne of God and communicate them back to you by revelation. That's why you are edified through praying in tongues. Therefore, spending three hours praying in the Holy Ghost would be one of the wisest moves you've ever made. And if you did it every day, look out, devil. You're building yourself up on your most holy faith, receiving greater and greater revelation of the mind of Christ. And the devil has no clue to what you're saying. He just has to watch it happen. Wow. Well, I think we covered quite a bit there. That's amazing. So... <clears throat> I'm going to leave it there for this week. I think that's a full meal deal. And so I uh, thank you for tuning in, spending a few minutes with me as we dive into the deep, launch out into the deep, and find out exactly what happens when we pray in the Spirit for edification. God bless. I'll see you next time.